Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. In every episode, we bring you insights into the teams behind the teams in professional football. Coming up on today's episode. The challenge on, on our side is to deliver players uh, that are ready for that, uh, for that challenge because the, the level is high. As you see, we, we fight for titles every year in Portugal. We are in quarterfinals of Champions League twice in a row. So it's not, a, it's not a weak squad. So the boys to make that step and to contribute and to add value in the first team, um, they need to, 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 be, to be up for it. I'm Simon Austin, and this is the first episode of Season 5 of the Training Ground Guru podcast. Kicking us off is Pedro Marquez, the technical director of Benfica's Academy. The Portuguese side could make a strong case for having the most successful youth setup in the whole of Europe. Their graduates include João Felix, Bernardo Silva and Ruben Diaz, and the club are the reigning UEFA Youth League champions. Not only that, but they have the continent's most profitable academy. The CIES have estimated that their player sales since July 2015 have been 379 million euros. In this episode, Pedro gives us insights into what makes the Lisbon Academy so successful. We hope you enjoy listening. And if you do, please give us a follow via your podcast provider. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Pedro. No, thanks. Thanks to, on my, my side. Thanks for having me and congratulations on the on the good work you guys have been doing. It's been a, a good company, especially the, the podcast and some of the, the trips and, the, and some other moments. And it's been always good to, to learn also from other colleagues that have been on the, on the podcast. So uh, congrats on that. Oh, that's great. Thank you. You've got an incredible academy at Benfica. Uh, just a couple of stats. The CIES did the story last year saying it was the most profitable in Europe in terms of the player sales. Uh, and you're also the UEFA League, Youth League champions. Uh, mm. So I was just wondering, first of all, it, is there any kind of one thing that sets Benfica Academy apart from others, do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's one one thing, you know. I, I think it's um, the the academy and player development is clearly part of the club strategy, and uh, it's been a continuous investment over over the years uh, to get where where the club is at, at the moment in terms of that uh, productivity, you know. So I think it's it's the result of the work of a lot of people through through a lot of years. Uh, Befica Campus. It's now 16, 16 years, so it's a massive investment on the on the structure. But uh, but even before that, there was already some uh, some processes being built up. And I think the if you want to call it a secret, it's mostly the, the consistency in terms of the investment, in terms of looking to the player development as a way to to get players and to generate value for for the club, either by getting those those boys to the first team to play and to be part of the squad, but also in the end, eventually. To, to to benefit from the, the player trading. Is the Benfica campus the academy setup then? 
Yeah, so so our player development goes across at least seven sites. So we have the Benfica campus is for our older age groups, so from 14 up. But actually, it all starts in the on the base on the younger on the younger boys, and our and our project is very long term. So we have five talent centers across the the country. Our main focus of scouting and recruitment. It's it's Portugal and uh, and those five talent centers and all the scouting network that we that we have put together in Portugal is pretty comprehensive and can help us spot players across uh, the whole the whole region. So um, the, those five talent centers they they are kind of the the initial feed um, for the for the system. So five talent centers plus the Lisbon a Lisbon site and they go all from the under six, seven years old, all the way up to under 12. So at 12 years of age, we make a big selection to, to transition to Benfica campus, where, where we build then the, the two teams of under 14, and then two teams of under 15, and then we, we, we go from that. So it's a bit of, um, like in other academies, a little bit of a pyramidal system, a, a selection uh, system, um, that uh, that again starts with uh, with our first pillar on the on the scouting the scouting network. So we have a lot of eyes on the on the ground. The, the fantastic work those guys do every every day, every week to go out and try to spot talent with potential for for the future. Uh, and and then when they are with us, all the work that we that we do with the, with the boys, not only on the pitch but also off, off off the pitch. And you talked about the opening of the Benfica campus sixteen years ago. Was there a big decision then that youth was going to be a major part of the club? Was that a big turning point? Yeah, I was not uh, not here yet, so that was it's part of the legacy that uh, we have uh, today today in hands. But uh, from uh, from uh, speaking with the other colleagues that were here, and that I think is also a, a a plus point on our on our academy today that we have people that has been here for a lot of years and building this and seeing this through, is that uh, it was a massive game changer because before that the club was working across in different pitches rented pitches across the city always with the house on their on their backs with the balls on the cars taking players from one side to the other and this kind of helped improve the, the quality of of work and the environment to 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 get a step a step up for for everyone from the pitches from the changing rooms also the first team coming here and having a place uh, uh, here to train also was aspirational for the boys to train to train very closely with the with the first team so i think that was a a big uh, a big moment for the club and what it is the, the the player development today so was that a big decision at board level that the best way forward was to focus on the academy and youth for the success of the club yeah i think it was it was a strategic decision a strategic decision that was taken with a lot of of confidence uh, the the club uh, it's it's a big it's a big club it's an ambitious club it's it's about winning like most of the the big clubs about winning games about winning trophies so that demand is always there from uh, from the fans from uh, from the the board from the from the president so but uh, over time the the work that was been was that has been done at the academy 
uh, and this, the first players that started to, to come through uh, reinforced the idea that, okay, this can be a, a stream of, uh, of development for, for the club. It can be a way to, to create value and to, to impact and to help the team to win more trophies. And it's not, uh, there's not a, a better feeling than seeing one of those boys playing with the first, first team uh, and the shirt on, on, on our stadium to lift trophies for, for the club. So I think that's what we, we all are working for, to help those boys to achieve the, the, their potential, to realise their, their dreams. Would it be wrong to characterise Benfica as a development club? Because obviously you've developed a lot of players, generated a lot of money from the sales, but you're still ultimately about winning trophies and even Champions League ultimately. Yeah, I think that's the 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 big dream. No, it's to 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 win trophies and to win eventually a, a Champions League again in the and again in the in the future. If we can do it with boys from the academy, I think it's it's going to be the the, the way forward to balance the players that we develop with the, with more experienced players that get a good a good support to to them and uh, and moving uh, moving forward and looking at the at the club. I. We, you can consider it a development club for the amount of players that we develop. And again, not only for the first team, but also to other clubs. There's almost all te every team in the first division that has one or other player that was at some point in the, in the Befica system. Uh, but uh, at the first team, you, you are always about, uh, about winning and uh, getting trophies for the club. And we've even got a lot of uh, Benfica youth players at your old club, Manchester City. You know, if you think of Edison, Bernardo Silva, Cancelo, who's on loan, but, you know, the list goes on. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, um, it's rewarding to see them there, obviously, because it's about their careers, it's about their progression. Uh, we the, the key thing with a lot of them is that they they also participated with the with the club. They they got out of of the club or they left the club as as better persons. We we feel or we like to think uh, about uh, in that in that way that the experience that they live while they were with us were positive experiences, and uh, in the end they they achieved their dreams of becoming football professional footballers of winning things. Um, but I cannot um, leave um, a, a word about uh, about the other boys that uh, don't make it sometimes or that uh, play at a lower at a lower level. And uh, even if we don't have kind of a more formal alumni uh, system here with the academy, it's it's great to see some of those boys from uh, from Ruben and the Cancelos and others that are at the top to come back to the training ground sometimes for uh, to recover from an injury sometimes just to see a match or to see the coaches that work with them so that also plays I think to the to the experience that they live in here and the connection that they have with the with the club. I was just going to drill down a little bit more into the four pillars that you talked about because we did an article a couple of years ago about the four pillars of Benfica's academy. Um, I think number one is scouting. And I'd read somewhere that you prefer to get the players in young rather than recruiting them at maybe 15, 16, like a lot of the English academies do. Yeah, uh, like I said, it's about uh, the long-term strategy. And I think that's... Uh, it's a challenge, but uh, the club has been doing it uh, right, I, I think. Obviously, it takes time, it takes investment, it takes support from, from the top. 
but uh, it's been the model that uh, it's been working and uh, and uh, the, the scouting is the first pillar for the reason that is one of the most important. If you don't get the, the, the good talent in, it's then difficult to, to, to develop uh, the, the players to the level that, uh, that we be managing to, to develop. And uh, it's, again, it's a, it's, we have a lot of people on the ground. It's um, the back of the work and the dedication of uh, of a lot of guys that traveled traveled the country to watch to watch players in, in Portugal maybe in comparison to to England we we can recruit from all over the country so I think it's a it's an advantage for our ecosystem let's call it like that and um, and supported by the five talent centers for the younger age groups, it allows us not to move the players so early. So the players can stay close to their families, can, uh, can develop in, in, in the region where they, they live before they make a transition to, the, to Lisbon, to the training ground, Benfica campus, which is always a, a big transition to move away from the family at 13 years old, to, to live in here on a residency uh, where we have uh, almost uh, 90 players, which is which is a big residency, I, I know. But um, again, we there's a lot of effort and commitment from the club and investment also to take care of the boys from a personal uh, point of view. So our, our education, welfare department takes care of the boys in here. We are almost like their, their parents away from, from home and we support everything from, from school to the social activities, from the free time, from the work that they do, obviously, also on the on the sporting front. So it's a big investment, not only from a okay from a financial point of view, yes, but from an emotional point of view and involvement with the boys, with the families that trust as their their kids. So do they all live on the campus as well? Do they stay overnight there? Yeah, yeah. So the the ones that are from outside Lisbon, from further away, they live with us and they spend the year with, with us. Yeah, because I don't think that happens in England, does it? They would be with families or in digs? Yeah, most uh, most of the academies uh, use that that system, which uh, also has uh, benefits, obviously, from living in a in a in a family in a, in, a, in a kind of in a different kind of uh, kind of environment. So it's almost like kind of halls of residence you would see at universities. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a big, it's a big building. That's interesting. Yeah, and if you recruited players at fifteen, sixteen, do you feel you've missed out on too much of their learning and development if you get them at that age? Yeah, to 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 some point, uh, yes. But uh, I think it's it's coming like that also because of the the competition that is that is is growing. Unfortunately, I'll, I'll say. Uh, for for recruiting at younger at younger age groups, so how things have evolved in terms of the 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 game and the off the pitch kind of competition for the best talent, um, it kind of forces the clubs of being forcing the clubs to go a little bit younger and younger, which um, in some part it's it's a worry. We we are worried about about that. But it's also a consequence of, I would say, the, the society, how things have evolved, how the game has evolved, how everyone is trying to, to adapt. And today, the, the world is, is more, more global, is more digital. 
there's a big mix between uh, sports, uh, fashion, gaming. You see a lot of intersections, and uh, that also forces things to be for, for everyone to want things quicker. You know, quicker at a faster at a faster pace, and so the competition is very fierce. And I think the the talent because the disappearance of street football, the the other the other. Um, um, the other uh, stimulus that call for the boys, whether it's in gaming, so we, we feel that we might tend to a disappearance of that uh, that player that has a special talent that is very differentiated, and we tend, unfortunately, to have more players that um, that kind of look the same on a broader scale, of course. So the challenge to find a player that is different, that uh, gets you those wow moments and uh, that solves the problems of the game on a, on a creative, independent uh, way, it's, um, it's, it's becoming uh, rarer, you know. So I think that's why everyone is trying to get uh, that at, uh, at the bottom of the, of the age groups. We had Tom Vernon from Right to Dream, who own F yeah. FC Norgeland, on the pod a couple of episodes ago. And he was saying that they do recruitment days when they will have like 100,000 kids taking part yeah. in total. And he was also talking about how they scout for character as well as the technical and physical attributes. Um, yeah. So I was just wondering, what do you look for in your recruitment and how do you do it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've I've heard the podcast and I've been following uh, the the project for for some uh, some years now, and it's exciting and and very very inspirational, and uh, to have that character as a as a base of their their program is 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 fantastic. So yeah, uh, it's obviously for us we, we look a lot to the to the to the relation with the ball, the relation with the game, and we 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 feel that the boys at young age they need to play. They need to play, they need to to enjoy, they need to have fun, they need to relate with the ball. And that is the core of everything to have passion for the game and to and to be out on the pitch, to to play with the friends, and to and to start from from there. So looking at the players at their young ages is what you look for: how they relate to the game, how they relate with the with the ball, uh, how do they enjoy the the game, how quick they do things. But the physical thing is not the most important at those those age groups. Uh, and when you go more to the mental psychological uh, traits. Um, you don't have a, a GPS to to measure to measure that. So I think the, the psychosocial uh, characteristics are are so important that in the end of the line we feel that are those that are defining the, the and differentiating the good from the outstanding. You know, on that transition to to the first team. So our investment. It's an energy and the highs and contact is about trying to also learn about the human side of the of the boy, uh, about the family structure and, and to connect with them. So we, we are all together on, on it and learning from uh, from the, the children in development uh, at, the, at that time. It's a it's a big it's a big piece as well for for us. So um, and, and especially because of, of that, because all players that get that normally are in top academies they they are good when they get to 16 17 they are good from a technical point of view they are good from a physical point of view they are developed in there they understand the game ones a bit better than others and then that special 
talent uh, that can differentiate one from the other, that special weapon, uh, and then the, the mentality, the, the capacity to cope, to be ready to, to deal with the, with, the, um, with the challenge of the transition to, to professional from a mental point of view. I think it's what uh, differentiates, you know, and, and that background, that entourage, the, their, their ability to cope to those challenges, it's what makes the, the difference. Our podcast sponsor, Huddle, can help change the way you see the game. More than 35,000 football teams across the world use their pro suite tools to combine video and data into powerful insights and winning strategies via one connected platform. Huddle also offers consultancy services for high-performance sport with world-class experience and expertise in data management, player recruitment, and head coach search. For more information, go to huddle.com forward slash TGG podcast. How many children would you have coming into the development centers um, at the youngest ages? Yes, yeah, so uh, our uh, overall, our system has kind of, has almost uh, 520 players, roughly 520 players. Um, um, around two, 200 are on those talent centers, uh, other, other kind of um, 100 are in, in Lisbon and the other part is here with us. Over here, we have the scholarship system where at 16, they would get signed up and get a contract. Yeah. Do you have that same system with the uh, Benfica campus? Yeah, it's slightly different in terms of the scholar system in here. So here you can uh, sign the first youth contract at 14, then the first professional contract at 16, valid for three years. And at 18, you can sign the second professional contract if you sign them all, uh, sometimes you can only sign at 18 uh, of, of five five years, which is common in in, in all, a lot of the countries in, in Europe. And, and then you are also um, under the, the FIFA rules and the UEFA move, movement of, uh, of young players. Uh, so before 16, they cannot move between countries. So I think it's also why we, we start uh, young and we focus on on Portugal as a base for recruitment. And a big topic in England has been about the dropout rates. So what happens yeah. to the players who don't make it as professionals? Uh, and Tom Vernon was saying they have a pipe, he would say, at Right to Dream, where the numbers going in are almost, you know, similar to the numbers coming out. Whereas yeah. in England, he said it's more of a pyramid. Lots come in and only a tiny number make it at the yeah. top. Um, so how do you address that at Benfica? Is that a big concern for you? Uh, yeah, for, for sure, because in the end, it's about the, the person and is about the the children that uh, that joined the, our that joined our system so our our we we understand and we recognize that our system is is elitist you know it's kind of a pyramid like a lot of others what we try to to do and to challenge and support our boys is that they grow as 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 persons as well so if they drop out of this of this pyramid they they are ready to take uh, another another um, another go or to continue their the development in another club in another um, 
in another experience, maybe some of them, uh, if they drop football in the future, and they, they will take some of those experiences of development also to, to other careers, to the society in the, in the future, um, in a more practical way. Um, again, that support in terms of uh, youth development as a, as a person from a social point of view, our welfare guys that work in here, the education that we provide, the support and the connection with the schools, the investment on a private college that delivers also good education for, for some of the age groups. I think all of that adds up to the experience of being in, in Benfica. And uh, we, we feel that when they transition, they will be prepared the best as we, we can provide to, for them to, to thrive. Um, even the, the way we prepare the, the meetings, the feedback, the managing the expectations for, for the future, it's something that we think a lot uh, about. How do we communicate? When do we involve the parents? Uh, if there is a release meeting, how do we support after that? From our, with our psychology department as well, making some regular contact. So we try to, to support also that step that sometimes outside of our system, it's a, it's a big step. And, the, and again, the dreams don't finish in, in Benfica sometimes when they, when they leave, you know. So I think they, they can, some, some of them, a lot of, and a lot of them continue to, to play football, to play at other levels. And we feel that we, we've been also a part of that. At least we feel that, that responsibility. Do they do all of their school education at the Benfica campus? No, so they go to, to regular schools uh, across here. So the boys that are from Lisbon, they go to, to schools around the, the region near their, their homes and then they come, they come to, to Benfica campus. The, the residents, they go to, to a school that we have a connection with here near, near Seychelles and the older boys go to a private college also that we have a, a connection with so and on top of that we have uh, what we call study rooms and we have the uh, teachers that support their their extra education here on the on the campus because uh, it's uh, what we call kind of a dual career we try to support that as much as as possible because sometimes if they go with the national team they might miss classes from the school so we get some support um, here on the education uh, after that sometimes if they have games during the week that they might miss one day or two of school we get the support back over over here so we try to to don't drop that uh, that ball and do you scout very actively in south america as well because i know obviously you've got those strong links with brazil in particular and quite a few players have come through um so yeah are you very active there uh, no, I would say that uh, our, our focus for, for the youth, again, is, is Portugal, you know, and we focus mostly on that for all the reasons I've, I've mentioned. What we know is that uh, as the, the age groups go, go up, sometimes you might need to, to, or to, to take an opportunity or a player that appears, but uh, normally we, we take the, the players that we have already in the system all the way up to our B team. 
and um, and eventually on the transition to the to the first team. When you speak about uh, the first team, obviously is a different uh, is a different market. Uh, but again, that um, that squad planning is done by by the, the president with the with the um, with the manager and the um, and the sporting director on the on the opportunities. But we've been feeling that they always look inside first to the club who's coming that's session planning and uh, and then obviously open to to other markets so say edison he came at an older age did he to benfica yes yes because i was not on that uh, on that process what was before i i came in i think he came at an older age as morato now that is on the on the first team he came at uh, morato came at 18 uh, when he managed when he, he was able to move across from uh, from the other side of of the world, and uh, Ederson then went on loan for a period, then he came back, um, and then he he established in the first team and he moved moved over, you know. But our uh, that those are ones. How, how can I say this? The there is not a single route to to success, you know. So and the, and the academy has proven that he can adapt. The majority of the players that come through, they they are in the system for a lot of years. You know, if you look at the under twenty one minutes that uh, this year in the league, the first team is is providing, uh, it's one is is well above the average of of Champions League twenty under twenty one minutes, and the majority of of the boys have been boys that have been here for for quite a long time, almost like the boys made in in Benfica. And the second pillar that we had um, was methodology. So I wonder if you could just explain a bit more about that, exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, so the methodology is about once you have the players, and that first pillar with the scouting uh, uh, did his work, it's about what uh, what context we provide for those players to, to thrive and to, to develop. So we are always thinking about what are the players and person and player that we need to develop to play the game in the future and the future can be in three years in five years in 10 years so and then how we we create the context the right environment the right context for those players to 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 develop you know and that goes again from the younger age groups all the way up to the to the to the b team to the first team it goes from um, from younger ages where you have a lot of um, diversity so we do futsal we do dance we do uh, gymnastics we do motricity specific for those boys we have cage football all of this on top of of football we the games program that we provide at those young younger age groups are also with specific rules we have an internal league so you go from broad and diversity all the way to 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 more to to more specialism let's see if you want to call it like that or to be a bit more detailed and refined in terms of the how the game the game evolves as a as a team but the the individual aspect and we have the player at the center of the process is the is the key for us and is core for our methodology not only on the pitch but also outside of the pitch like we like we spoke we just had a good article about futsal actually at river plates uh by a chilean coach so yeah. it's not something that's used a lot again in the clubs in in England. 
Yeah, uh, I think it's 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 growing as well. The, the Premier League has some some events that are uh, that are football futsal futsal based from from what I know. So for younger age groups, and that is a is a great uh, is a great stimulus and development experience because it's a different type of surface, a different uh, contacts. You have a lot of interaction with the ball. If you use the the how you say the the you know the the rebounds. You know oh, okay. the ball doesn't go out. Yeah. You know sometimes also promotes a lot of continuity on the game, a lot of interaction, smaller numbers. So for the boys' development is a is a fantastic uh, tool to to support the the development, the relation with the ball, and the, and that is great. And would you say there's a Benfica style of play that is then used at the academy? Yeah, I think I think so. Uh, if you look uh, to, to to our teams, we like to think that if you play with a with a white shirt or without shirt, that you could recognize the way we the way we play. Um, I think that is in in these regards of of systems of play. Even if we have a base that evolves from the five aside, seven aside, nine aside. All the way up to to eleven aside, and in eleven aside we play mostly from a four three three base. Although in our first team now we are playing more with a four four two. So it's not so much about the system; it's about the principles and the ideas and the, what we want to show on the pitch in terms of the identity and in terms of the connection with the with the fans as well. So the, that style of, of play it's almost like a base for for everything that uh, that we do. And, uh, and our style, if you see it, it's it's about uh, intensity, it's about having uh, having initiative on the game to to play with the ball. To, to press high, to regain quickly, to score a lot of goals, to create a lot of chances. So I think it's a, it's a very positive uh, way of playing and it's also the, something that is cultural within the, within the club to, to, to play an attractive forward uh, football to, 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 to win titles. Because I guess some of the Portuguese football and coaching has been a lot more structured. Like if you think about a Mourinho or Rui Farrier, who we had on the podcast. Um, so whether there's the room for individualism within that very structured uh, approach. Yeah. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's structure in a, in a bad sense. Uh, I think it's, um, I think game to some point, it also at the top level, it's also leaves from, from the organization, the, but uh, and but I feel that today, especially for the youth system and for the youth coaches, it's a risk to think about uh, that structure, that organization, and to be rigid on on it. I think the the mediatization of the game over the last years, the mediatization of some of uh, of the coaches that are actually fantastic coaches, but uh, to to young coaches and aspiring coaches. Um, everyone wants to be like uh, Guardiola, like Mourinho, like Klopp, like uh, Pochettino at, at younger age groups. And sometimes the risk is that they want to imitate or to recreate the tactics, the, the post-match review that they saw on, on Sky Sports with the young boys. And the, the young boys, they are not uh, mini adults. So, and the, 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 the needs... Uh, for their development at younger age groups are not the same uh, that the, the first team uh, needs. So we have to treat the, the boys as 
on those on those basics that we mentioned about passion for the game to play to experience different ways to to get the basics right uh, and again the game at the top level it's a lot about doing the basics uh, right uh, the first touch the the positioning on the on the pitch in terms of the the body shapes the the duels the the you know those small things are more important for the development of the boys than than the the pressure with one with two inside and the one player dropping and the get on the space because when you take that to the training with young boys a lot of times you kind of reduce the you 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 risk to reduce a little bit the the complexity and the richness of of the game of of playing of relating with each other of solving the problems of being autonomous and uh, i think that the the success of a lot of the coaches at the first team level which is a different kind of football um, is inspiring yes because of all the high performance stories but for the younger 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 age groups uh, i feel that sometimes is a bit uh, detrimental if you try to apply it as a in a direct uh, correlation, you know. Pillar three, Pedro, competition. And you've spoken a bit already about the B team, which is something a lot of English clubs would like to have, but it's very difficult within our, our football pyramid here. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's part, again, the, on the, it's one of the, the pillars that we consider our third pillar is about the competition and to have the right stimulus for, for the boys all the way up the, the, the different age groups. In Portugal, we are allowed to have a team on the a B team on the second division, on the second tier, which for us is great because it's about men's football. It's about getting our our young boys playing in there. Uh, our best under 18s, our best under 19s, they are in that in that team competing against uh, against men. So it's a uh, it's uh, again it's it's real football, you know, in terms of the 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 management of the game in terms of the approach to play against more experienced players to play in a league that is that is tough that there are men looking not to go down men fighting to for promotion so i think there's a, a very rich experience and uh, i know that in england um, since um, the, the inception of the Premier League too. It's been trying to to get those experience with the Shepherd Trade Trophy, with the different competitions that have been put through. Um, I think there it's positive that there are good steps in there. But uh, I know that also a lot of the guys uh, in England also feel that is is still still a bit short. So we are fortunate to have that. We try to make the most out of it, and this is a is a good stepping stone to reach the first team and to and to play for our for our top team. So your B team plays in the Portuguese second division. Yeah. Yeah. How do they perform? How high do they finish in in the league generally? Yeah, so we, we've been we've been uh, doing well. I think we we've been always maintaining in in that league, which is which is good. Uh, we've been we've done fourth in the in the past a couple of times as as our best uh, place. Normally we finish around mid mid table. This season we are a bit uh, a bit uh, below mid table and uh, and uh, having a, another season. But I think it's also a reflection of uh, of the the youth because if some of the young boys that today are playing with the, with the first team or in the first team squad, they could be 
playing in the in, in the pit team. But so, but our trophies in the end are those for the boys to be competing and adding to the to the first team is great. But uh, when sometimes when that happens, the the B team might struggle a little bit more. But is is part of the process. If we used to say, if we are doing very well on the on the B team in terms of the the table, uh, sometimes it's because some of those players they they should already move 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 up, or because of the level it's it's uh, of the league is not so so well adjusted. So, in the end, it's also a space where we always enter the games trying to make the most to win every game and the boys and the boys feel feel that uh but is 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 difficult this stuff is a tough league and is is real football do you get registered to the b team for the whole season or could the first team call you up if you're doing very very well yeah when you register with the league you can uh, you can go to the first team yeah okay. at any right. moment yeah right yeah. Oh, okay. so a lot of some of our boys are also regularly training with the with the with the first team and getting those opportunities. So on the management for day to day, it's a lot about this regular communication to for the day in terms of training. So today there were two boys that went to train with the first team. Maybe at the weekend one of them goes with the with the first team squad. So they might come and and train or to play with the B team. Uh, maybe next week two of them will be training with the B team. So that open open space and regular communication is is key. So we can always get the right stimulus for for the boys. And would all the players that we know, like João Felix, João Cancelo, they would have all gone through the B team first. Yeah, yeah. Right. Pillar four opportunities. So that's about the club being aligned, I guess, and the first team coach wanting to put academy players in if they're good enough. Yeah, that's that's the word we, we use uh, for to realize everything that we do here. Also, through a lot of years, through a lot the work of a lot of people, uh, it's about at the end to create the opportunities. And and again, those opportunities are created uh, first and foremost by the by the squad planning with the with the first team, by the regular communication with between the academy and the first team, with the president, sporting director, the head coach. On and recruitment on trying to 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 build that um, that squad and to create some spaces for for those uh, for those players as well. Um, the challenge on on our side is to deliver players uh, that are ready for that uh, for that challenge because the the level is high. As you see, we we fight for titles every year in Portugal. We are in quarterfinals of Champions League twice in a row. So it's not a, it's not a weak squad. So the boys to make that step and to contribute and to add value in the first team, um, they need to 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 be to be up for it. So the challenge for us is to deliver the players ready. A little bit the challenge on the first team and the, for the presidents to create the spaces. For, for them to to get in and i think we've been really uh, successful on that over the last uh, the last years on that transition and uh, even with the managerial change this season with Roger Schmidt coming in uh, i think it's it fit like a, a fantastic piece on the on the project because in the preseason it took 14 of the boys with him to to know them better nine stayed in the in the in the squad uh, some of them are regularly playing. Last uh, game against Club Brugge Champions League, 
five of them finished on the on the pitch. So I think we it's about the the next day. What can we keep keep on doing? I'm aware we're quite tight on time, but I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about the Benfica Lab and the influence that has within the academy. Yeah. Yeah, the Benfica Lab was structured that, uh, again, when the club was developing, that uh, was kind of our performance side of uh, of things in terms of supporting all the, the coaching staffs and, the, and all the teams. Uh, and uh, actually, over the last uh, years, it evolved to, to a bigger structure, to a health and performance uh, unit and department, which uh, I don't know if you, if you are aware, but uh, it's at Benfica, we have uh, not only football, we have a multi-sports club. So the health and performance department works across the different, uh, the different sports. So futsal, volleyball, basketball, uh, individual sports. Uh, so the Olympic project. So there's a big array of uh, of players, athletes, teams to to support, and that uh, that department, human performance department, works across across all all of them. Uh, but again, the the key word I think for for the work that uh, they do, that we do, it's about integration and to to get people in the different multidisciplinary teams working together to make the most of the, the resources that, again, we are fortunate to, to have. Is a university involved with that or is it like its own university? Uh, no, it's, it's not uh, like a university. I think the connection with the universities come also from, uh, from us looking to, to learn more and to, to want more and to get informed decisions in, in the end. So the space between our practice, our, our experience and also the, the developments in terms of the scientific and academic uh, approach, it, we try to get it together, not only in terms of human performance, but also in terms of coaching, in terms of uh, the other areas that we operate in. And the final question is just about the ambitions of the academy. And I was wondering, could there ever come a stage where you hold on to your best players like João Felix and then, you know, you could win the Champions League? I think we have uh, that's the that's the dream, you know. We know the market we we are in in terms of of, of revenue. Although we sit twenty uh, fourth, think in the in the money league, the light money league ranking, the first team outside of the the big five. Uh, but uh, our our ambition and our our goal is to get the players developing and to get to our first team to leave that experience with the first team, which is a fantastic experience at our stadium when we we go to to win trophies, to have those boys lifting the trophies, and to retain them the most as we as we can. Uh, as you see, with Rubens, a good example. He played two seasons for for the first team. He he was in here. He was here adding and having a great experience and eventually he moved on and it's also great for us to to keep watching them and seeing them and them happy where where they where they go um so for for the academy i think every day is about trying to improve marginal gains step by step and try to keep this legacy of uh, of play on player development and uh, getting the the context and the, the experience for the next uh, next crop that comes in. Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, Pedro. Cool. No, thanks. Thanks a lot again. And uh, all the best for the for the future of the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. 
In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website and on Twitter at ground underscore guru.